Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, a few days ago, the Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence said it might be worth reassessing the triple lock, which is the system by which to, by which Irish troops are granted permission to serve abroad. Now, this is part of a burgeoning debate since the invasion of Ukraine about our neutral status. Today, a motion is to be put to the Senate, which calls for a number of things, but particularly a constitutional guarantee of our neutrality. We're joined by two senators, both of whom are members of the army, but who disagree on this motion. Tom Clonan, who will be voting in favour and Jared Crockwell who will not good afternoon to you both good afternoon good afternoon Tom I'll start with you because you actually wrote this Um, uh, why is our neutrality the best way to keep our country safe so I wrote this because in recent months there has been an, uh, an acceleration of the debate around our neutrality and I welcome that debate I think it's a very important debate for reasons that we we might be able to get into shortly but we have had a number of politicians uh in Fine Gael and some in Fianna Fáil and some MEPs who say, look, you know what, guys, now is the time for Ireland to join NATO. And it's kind of framed as a sort of a coming of age and being mature and, you know, uh, carrying carrying our weight in Europe. And I just feel very strongly that that is, well, for me personally, that's very undesirable that we would join a military alliance like NATO. And number two, I don't think it's necessary because... Uh, and I know Jared will agree me on, with me on this. Like we've contributed to NATO missions since the 1990s. Uh, we've had troops in Afghanistan. We've had them in Kosovo as part of NATO peace enforcement operations. Mm. So they're full combat operations. We've had Irish troops participate in EU uh, missions. In fact, Ireland led the first EU expeditionary mission down to Chad, Central African Republic. Again, not peacekeeping, peace enforcement, full spectrum operations. And the Irish, as always, acquitted themselves very well. So by not being in a military alliance, we can still participate when uh, a neighbour or a stakeholder is in trouble, like Ukraine, without having to become part of a military alliance where we wouldn't have a choice. So we get to pick on a case-by-case basis, you know, whether we're going to get involved in the fighting. And that's what—that's my understanding. And that's the, the constitutional guarantee I'd like to see, that Ireland would be prohibited from joining a military alliance like NATO, but not that we wouldn't uh, participate when called upon and when the Irish people feel that it's appropriate that we get involved. Uh, In terms of um, what the minister said about the triple lock, do you think that's worth maybe reassessing? He did make this point that, that, you know, because of the triple lock, Russia can veto our participation. Yeah, so for, for, for the listeners, triple lock is UN Security Council mandate followed by Doyle, government and Doyle approval. And I I hear politicians like Neil Richmond say, you know, because of the UN Security Council mandate, part of it, countries like Russia can veto all of the time. And and that's a very, very valid point. It has tied our hands in the past. Um, So if we were to dispense with with the UN Security Council mandate, it certainly would give our country a, a great a much greater level of discretion as to uh, what missions we participate in. But the only uh, sort of concern I'd have about that is that um, if you have a, a government with a massive majority, you know, they could uh, align us with a with a military action that might not be popular at home. And that, so in the absence, so I'm open to a discussion on the UN Security Council mandate being removed, but I, I would like to see it perhaps replaced by something else, maybe something like uh, a Council of State approval, like that you'd have the President 
look at a government, you know, particularly if they have a big majority, and and make that call. Wouldn't I? Would I? Wouldn't like to be that president, but uh, yes. or those members. But you know, but just to have some sort of protection against a government that had a big majority, yeah. because we're talking about sending our children off to war, and and you know, we we had a uh, hundred and fifty thousand Irish fought in the U.S. Civil War, twenty thousand fought on the on the uh, Confederate side. Forty percent of the British Army in the nineteenth century was Irish. We've had. Uh, 56,000 Irish boys butchered in World War One, 80,000 Irish fought in World War Two. 45,000 from the Republic. Like we're no strangers to fighting. Mm. In fact, the Irish have been fight, have been at every fight and every graveyard across Europe is full of young boys like my, my grandfather's brother, Joe Clonan, lieutenant in the Australian Imperial okay, yeah, Force. I'm going to cut across Kill, you there now. Killed the, in 1970. I think the lecture are part of your DNA yeah, is kicking but, but in that's there. The, but that's the bit that, <laughs> I, you know, we have to, yeah, we have know, to be I, very I, careful. I'm limited on time. Gerard, is this perhaps Pollyanna-ish to think that we can remain neutral, given the amount of uh, level of threat in the world, particularly in Europe? OK, let me state here that I am very supportive of Ireland becoming neutral. I am not supportive of using the Constitution. It's too crude uh, an instrument. Um, We're talking about two different things here, though. We're talking about military alignment and neutrality. They are polar opposites, Mm. right? So if we go down the route that Tom would like us to go down, that leaves it uh, within the gift of uh, any government to participate in uh, a conflict should one arise. Now, The interesting thing here, and I'm I'm surprised that the Irish government have currently gotten away with this. In the case of the war in Ukraine, I am fully supportive of what we are doing. However, the concept of neutrality was thrown into the dustbin by Simon Coveney, who said very shortly after the war started, we are not neutral in this case. On whose authority did he say that? He certainly didn't bring it to the Oireachtas. Mm. It wasn't debated in the Oireachtas. Michal Martin said the same thing. So, Two senior politicians decided when the Ukraine war started, hey, to hell with neutrality, we're, we're now on the side of Ukraine. And the moment we supplied one piece of military equipment, irrespective of what it was, we immediately sacrificed any call we have to neutrality. So we are not a neutral state. And by the way, previous to that, the only time you can talk about neutrality is when there is a conflict. So the last time there was a conflict that required us to take a decision was 1939 to 1945, and we were no more neutral than Churchill. We were neutral in favour of the Allies, and, and, you know, Tom quoted a lot of figures there. Um, Not many went to join the German army, uh, I'm assuming. Well, there was actually um, a senior officer. I knew he'd know that. Yeah, he was (laughs) appointed by Hitler. There's a great book called Hitler's Irishman. It's available in all bookstores. And the senior officer appointed by Hitler, he went around, he was an SS guy, went around all the prisoner of war camps trying to recruit Irishmen. They were called Hitler's Irishmen. And the name of that major? Major Fucker. Lovely. Uh, well well named. Uh, nominative determinism there at work. Now, so your, your point is, is that neutrality is a technical nicety perhaps but it still suits us it, it, Look, it's something, if you go back through our history, I believe at some stage every Taoiseach in this country has declared we're not neutral in this particular mm. instance. So it is a nicety that we can, we need to discuss. I do not believe uh, Tom speaks about NATO and we differ slightly here. Uh, I believe that we have no business seeking to be a part of a land naval or air force with, within NATO. But we are now living in the world of cyber war and cyber war is taking place all day every day and I've just come back from Estonia where we looked at the cyber world there are no borders in cyber so we will need to find alliances in cyber Uh, and 
Whether that, that will be from NATO, there's an excellent NATO centre in, in Tallinn. I've been there. I've seen what goes on there. Uh, whether we align with them or align with others, I don't know what way that will work out, but we're going to have to align with somebody. So I'm tied between the notion of my land, sea and air forces being neutral and not engaging in any war whatsoever, but at the same time having some sort of alliance within the um, uh, the cyber world. So we have some very difficult conversations to come I'm not that far separated from where Tom is. There's slight nuances between the two of us. Mm. But I think you'll find as the debate goes through the Shannon this evening, the two of us will be speaking on largely the same things. What it requires to be neutral or militarily non-aligned, as the case may be, what we need to do. Bear in mind, the minister that will be sitting in front of us today has been minister for five of the last ten years and he is walking in to talk about neutrality to us when our navy is falling apart, our air force is falling apart and our permanent defence forces is at the lowest level it has ever been at in the history of the state. Mm. And he's going to come in and talk about neutrality? We couldn't defend ourselves. Who looks after our sky? Who looks after our seas? Uh, Our... Well, I mean, that's, and I think this is a point you both agree on, uh, because the, the irony here is we're neutral, but we depend in, at the end of the day, if something, God forbid something terrible happened, we'd want NATO or Europe to defend us. Well, we've always relied on Britain. They, they have de facto, uh, we've handed our defence and security over to them for a long time. And, and the problem, and I'll just add to this, you know, I don't believe that Oglig Naharan or the Defence Forces will exist in 15 years time. I don't believe Angarda Siakana will exist they will have been replaced by something else, you know, uh, Police Service of Ireland or Land Forces Ireland, because whether we like it or not, ready or not, we're heading full speed towards some sort of an all-island situation here. And there's a big community on this island who will have to decide whether or not they accept our armed forces or our administration of justice and policing. So we have to get very, very serious about a discussion on what kind of an army do we have Does it represent a society from which it's drawn? Is it acceptable to all communities? People in Belfast will be asking, we want to stay in NATO because Northern Ireland is in NATO. Mm. We're not having these discussions. We're only beginning to talk about possibly health, social protection, education in some sort of an all-island entity, whatever that looks like. But we are not fit for purpose, even for the beginnings of public disorder, the return to violence that we're beginning to see because this time round, it's not going to be the RUC or the British Army that's going to sort it. This time, it's going to be us. Yeah. And okay. as the, as the Defence Forces are now, through no fault of their own, they, they're, they're not ready for even poke fair. Never yeah. mind what might happen next. But going back to what's prompted this particular discussion, the invasion of Ukraine, and prior to that, as we all know, and I think you wrote about it at the time, Tom, the Russians conducted these... Uh, um, exercises off our coast. Now, they were pushed further back by the fishing industry, but we can't be depending on the fishing industry to defend us. And it would seem as if the message the Russians were sending was that there is a back door into Europe. We can trample all over those people and we're powerless about them. So isn't it hypocritical? And I'll put this question to both of you to say, no, we want to remain neutral until it doesn't suit us to remain neutral. And that time might be coming very soon. Foreign Policy magazine in the last month had their front page was Ireland. Europe's weakest link Mm. in terms of defence, security, air, surface of ocean, ground and cyber. We are provocatively weak. And that's why the Russians sent their fleet down to signal to Europe, look, guys, we're invading at your eastern border of Europe, but here's the back door at the western border 
and we can do anything we like here. Yeah, We're the so only country in the European Union that cannot monitor its airspace, cannot defend its ground, can't defend itself from internal or external threats and cannot monitor its airspace. And, our, and Jared, Jared will speak to what's happening with the Naval Service. Yeah, but realistically, lads, is it possible for the government to say, right, take your point, we'll invest hugely in, in, into uh, all arms of our, our, of our military over the next few years when there's so many other uh, pressing issues, or just join a military alliance, which is the cheaper option? Well, first and foremost, you can't join a military alliance when you have nothing to bring to the table. <laughs> so, that's really, so they wouldn't have us. Then. So they wouldn't have us. That's the first thing. But the second thing is like, I mean, when you talk about the position of this country, this country is the largest uh, aircraft carrier in the world, as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't matter whether you're attacking east to west or west to east. Uh, if you want a base whereby you can land and refuel, Shannon. Dublin, mm. ideal for it. So from that point of view, we are extremely vulnerable. We do not do security. Now, I'd ask your listeners to consider this. Finland is a country roughly the same size as ours, with a population roughly the same size as ours, and a GDP slightly less than ours. They have an excellent education system, excellent health system. They have an excellent uh, defence force or army, air force and naval service. How are they doing it on the same income? And we can't. I'll tell you, a lot of what goes wrong here goes back to everything is outsourced. Uh, I'm looking right now at the search and rescue uh, service, the helicopter service. It's going to cost the Irish taxpayer 1.3 billion for five helicopters. The Brits are getting 18 helicopters for 1.6 billion. So, you know, please, somebody tell me what's going on here. We are risk averse. And the way we uh, deal with our risk averseness is we try as far as possible to contract everything out. And we're paying a huge premium for it. Whatever happened to the civil service who used to look after the citizens of the state? And the the same applies to our defence forces. Tom and myself both served when we had, what, 12,500 people serving in the defence forces, defending our border. And we shrunk them down and shrunk them down and shrunk them down. Now what's happening? Large companies are buying out our professional people. They're paying for their contracts to buy them out so as they can bring them into the chemical industry, into the electronics industry. Uh, and the bottom line on it is we're losing them. I'm looking at the pay. We, we have, they say, oh, well, you know, we've got to treat the defence forces in the same way as we treat the public service. There is no other service in the public sector that is not allowed to be a part of a union, that does not get paid overtime, that is forced to work weekends when weekends comes up. That is that beck and call 24 hours a day, every day of the week. Drug testing mandatorily, health examinations mandatorily, fitness tests mandatorily. They are not the same as the rest of the public service and the government needs to wake up and smell the coffee on that one before we have nobody left. That vote uh, is at half five today. I feel in Jersey you might lean towards voting because there's a lot in there apart from the neutrality thing about bolstering those services. Yeah, the government have been very smart on this one. There'll be no vote because they have accepted the motion. Yes, indeed. (laughs) They've saved themselves embarrassed. just dodged out of the way. Uh, I was uh, Jared Crowell there and Tom Clonan, both independent, uh, both senators uh, in uh, Shana Darren and obviously both ex-military people. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.